This bonus episode of We Are The Weather is a global community programme I'm working on with my friend Patrick Abrahams, the UK Men's Shed Association and Froome FM. It's called Shed Happens Even If You're Self-Isolating. Please get this podcast to as many people as possible as it really could help someone in these times. Thank you. Bonus episode seven. Celebrating people who have built their own community shed. First aired Wednesday the 6th of May 2020 with your host Patrick Abrahams. And welcome to Shed Happens. I'm Patrick from the Free Men's Shed. Um, this weekly show, whilst we're all isolating, is brought to you by the UK Men's Shed Association and Froome FM. It's about men's sheds and community sheds and the shed movement generally, but aimed at everyone. Always strictly follow the guidance issued by the UK government and the NHS regarding the coronavirus. Please stay at home, protect the NHS to save lives. Coming up is a short trailer on what you'll hear in the show today. Welcome to Shed Happens in Glorious Stereo, broadcasting around the UK and around the world. In today's show... And they gave me a trolley and did a trolley dash around Asda. You know, we ended up with lots and lots of biscuits, biscuits up to our eyes. And you guys have all got cups of tea in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing unusual. Is it true that you've got a radio show, Shed Happens, which is a great title? <laughs> Can you see me? Yeah, go yeah. Is that on your phone, Hilbury? That's on my phone. Don't go to the thing. toilet with it. <laughs> Old men and technology. Wonderful. <laughs> Shit happens even when you're self-isolating. So, self-isolate responsibly. This show was recorded on the 5th of May, 2020, with everyone taking part remotely. And we'll uh, hear from our, our studio shedders in just a moment. Um, you remember last week we had a, a quite a broad discussion about how the world may be after the lockdown, and, and we hope that we could build back better in this new world, this new post-COVID-19 world. Well, this week's show is all about sheds that have built their own sheds. And we have four sheds uh, this week, and they all tell their stories about how they built their sheds. And in all cases, um, they had grand ambitions from the start, which have all been realised, and they continue to build on their um, original successes. Most of these interviews were recorded last week, and some of them um, have got some sound quality problems, which we do apologise for. Anyway, please let us know how you think the show could help you. Please contact us at shedhappens at ukmsa.org.uk. And we have Shedders Kate and Dan with us in our virtual studio today. And thanks for taking part. Please say hello, Shedders. Hello, Shadows. This show can be heard again on Froome FM from 2pm on Saturday, the 9th of May. It'll be available online on the Froome FM website 
and also on the UK MSA website. See more details on www.shedhappens.uk. Click on the show pages. And now this week I was fortunate enough to be interviewed by Robert Elms um, on the Robert Elms show on BBC Radio London last week. Here's that interview. And would it make a difference for, for you if you had a shed? If you had somewhere to go and seek a little solace, solace and solitude, perhaps. I mean, for many people at the moment, they've got too much solitude. But for others, perhaps in family homes where they're all crowded in, perhaps a little shed at the end of the garden would be their idea of heaven. I haven't got a shed, I must admit, but I'm sure that Patrick Abrahams does because he's the UK ambassador of the Men's Shed Association. And he's on the line now. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Robert. Thanks for having me on. And for you. So first of all, tell us a bit about the the shedding and why it's such an important thing at a time like this, do you think? Well, we've got 600 sheds across the country, um, but all of them are closed right now. But normally they're open to for people generally older, but not always older people to do practical stuff together. Um, We often say, you know, men especially don't talk face to face, but they often talk shoulder to shoulder while they're working. Um, so the idea of this is that obviously not not at this period of quarantine that men can just go to these sheds and use them. Yeah, we call them shedders who go to the shed, and they can work um, on projects for themselves, creative and practical projects, or for other people, or often for uh, people in the community or other community groups. Why, as someone who's never been in a shed, I'm not the shedding type. What's the appeal of a shed for you? Do you think? Well, it's, it's a very social atmosphere. There's a lot of banter. Um, you know, they always say the most important tool in uh, in a men's shed or a community shed is the kettle, because a lot of a lot of coffee and tea gets drunk um, and biscuits, and it's just a, it's a way. It's it's often a place where people who maybe are retired or or, or widowed or or um, can go to meet up with people um, in a social atmosphere and do practical jobs for other people as well. And is it primarily for men? Women allowed? No, a large number of sheds um, have for women. We call them men's sheds, and that's where they kind of started. But, yeah, no, women are allowed in, in most sheds um, across the country. Um, sometimes there's a separate session, but often there are joint sessions as well. And, and there are women's sheds as well. And because shedding of that kind can't happen at the moment, is it true that you've got a radio show, Shed Happens, which is a great title? <laughs> Shed Happens, yeah. Um, yeah, we have a, 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 the UK Men's Shed Association kind of um, got us, we, we run one in Froome locally, but they, they wanted a national one. So we've been running a two-hour uh, show on a Wednesday, um, which is involved talking with sheds across the country and worldwide. So we've talked to Australia and Honolulu to find out what kind of things people are doing to try and help sheds stay connected during these difficult times. <laughs> so you're talking sheds? We are. Well, I mean, what... In a normal time, if you got two or three guys together in a shed, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a man myself, but I'm not, a, I'm not a shedder. But I will meet other blokes in the pub or, you know, whatever. Do you talk sport? Do you talk politics? Do you talk emotions and fam? What, what, what are the big subjects of conversation? Would you well, say? well, they, you know, they often say that you put a lot of men in a room and ask them to talk about their health, their well-being, and their personal circumstances. You know, half of them will leave and the other half will just sit quiet in the corner. If you throw a, a lawnmower in there and say, hey, this is broken, guys, fix it, you'll find they all know each other very well after two hours and you might end up with a fixed um, lawnmower as well. So it's a lot about talking about uh, talking about things shoulder to shoulder. And um, you get a lot of advice. If you, if you want anything mended in the shed, 
you'll find there's five people giving advice and one person working. Is it fair to say that, particularly at a time like this, there will be men out there who are suffering in silence, if you like, who are struggling emotionally? Well, yes, absolutely. And it's, it's, I mean, a lot of the sheds were set up to help prevent social isolation. And so here we are, you know, perversely um, in the middle of it. But a lot of sheds are running um, Zoom meetings and other, and other uh, online meetings. And some of the sheds are actually getting more people joining their online meetings and actually go to their shed. So my, my encouragement would be for if anybody is, is to contact your local shed and you can find that on the UK Men's Shed Association website um, and give them a call and see what they're doing. I mean, a lot of them are doing work for uh, the NHS. So there's, there's, there's hundreds of shedders printing uh, face masks across the country right? Um, and doing deliveries of um, um, things to isolated people. And so there's, there's quite a lot going on. There's online quizzes. There's all kinds of things going on. Art, art competitions, photographic competitions. And whilst we can't meet face-to-face, we can meet virtually. So that's continuing um, in many of the sheds. Is there, is there a website? What's the sort of the, the, the online focus of all of this? Um, well, there's, there's quite a few online focuses. But the, the best one is the UK Men's Shed Association Um website and you could if you just put in UK MSA find a shed or one word it'll it'll come up and you don't have to have a shed of your own for this or even a garden no absolutely not um you can um when when all this is over we hope to um to get people back together again patrick i'll see you in a shed one day well yeah well done robert and um how you do five shows a week is a mystery to me one a week it's, a, it's hard work make that so, uh, six i'll do saturdays as well you do that. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's my, I take my hat off to you. Well done. Where can people hear your show, Patrick? Well, if they go to shedhappens.uk, the website, you get all the links there. It's on all kinds of um, different uh, websites. Um, you can hear it live in the Froome area, but you can hear it live on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock and on Saturdays at 2 by listening live on Froome FM. But all of that is on the shedhappens.uk website. And that's Patrick Abrahamson, the UK Men's Shed Association. Of course, you, you heard I was introduced as the ambassador for the UK Men's Shed Association. Um, there is more than one ambassador, let me tell you. And Kate, maybe you could just say a few words about the Shed Ambassadors uh, countrywide. Yeah, so the Shed Ambassador Programme is a national network of shed experienced volunteers who are willing to support the shed movement at a local level. Uh, and you're right, Patrick, you are one of 36 active Shed Ambassadors across the UK. Uh, we've got about another seven or eight in the pipeline, uh, another six or seven that have been recommended. Uh, and then we've also got a number of Shed Advocates as well. So these are people who aren't necessarily involved in Sheds, but are very keen to shout about the Shed movement uh, and try and give us updates on what's going on in, in different parts of the country. So, yes, you're, a, you're a part of a big network and uh, opportunities like the the Robert Elm show is exactly what we call upon for the ambassadors to get involved. And so thank you for taking part and doing such a good job. Um, does that mean does that mean he has to return the big tray of Ferrero Rocher? I, I, I got no Ferrero Rocher. I have, no, <laughs> other chocolates available. are available. <laughs> well, yeah, no other ambassadors are available. Um, yeah. And I guess if um, if, if uh, you're interested in in the ambassador program, either if you're a shed or or wants to support the sheds, then do get in touch. Um, if you email shedhappens at ukmsa.org.uk, we'll pass that on to Kate.
Yeah, and just to say, actually, the ambassador program, just like the shed movement, is diverse. So you've got people with all sorts of different skills, experience, whether that's from their professional career or whether it's to do with how they've run and set up their own shed. So it is, it's almost like a, a switchboard of uh, connecting with people who have been through the learning curve and, and can offer advice and guidance. Um, yeah. Hey, thank you very much indeed for that. And uh, thank you for all of those ambassadors countrywide. As I said earlier, other ambassadors are available. <laughs> Uh, thanks to Robert Elms and BBC Radio London for their permission to uh, air this clip. Now, here's the first men's shed on today's show that built their own shed. Coming up is an interview with Peter Chalkley from Exmouth Men's Sheds and the charity Open Door. Peter, welcome to Shed Happens. The Exmouth Shed have been um, very fine builders of their first shed. We've just learned that there's actually another construction underway. So. Peter, perhaps can you give some background behind the Exmouth Shed and how you came to build your own shed in the first place? Well, we started about six years ago. We had a, somebody was over in Australia and came back. He, he had a house in Tasmania and he came back and said, have you heard about Men's Shed? And I hadn't got a clue what Men's Shed was. And uh, so he explained. And um, being a trustee of Open Door, which is a large charity in Exmouth, we felt it would be a great addition to our, one of our projects to start a, a men's shed. And it just so happened the, this friend that I was talking about, he was friendly with somebody who was uh, the chair of the Southwest Men's Shed in Southwest Australian Men's Shed Association. And he was over in this country. And so he came and gave a talk. We put an advert in the local paper and invited people to come who might be interested in forming a men's shed association and he came and chatted about it and there was about 30 people turned up and uh, we basically from that moment we then decided to start a men's shed association in in Exmouth as part of an open door project it took us about nine months to get going and um, we managed to get a very generous grant from the health lottery to start up as um, main shed in, in Exmouth. Um, and we based it in, we had to do it in a deprived area of Exmouth, which is a large estate, a uh, little estate, which is um, a large council estate. How did you get the, the land or the property? Well, we basically um, were looking around to, based in, in Littleham, and there was a community centre we managed to, uh, where we started, which was um, the East Devon District Council were very encouraging for us to start something up in Littleham. And uh, so we originally, for two years, we were based in this in the community centre. The biggest problem, we had to pack all the, everything away. We had it three days a week and we had to pack everything away and put it into a small cupboard. It was incredibly dirty and dusty and everything else. So just outside the community centre, there was a patch of land quite a, a large patch of land owned by East Devon and we asked whether we could build uh, a shed on this um, this bit of land so um, after incredible amount of bureaucracy and planning and everything else we had to go for planning permission obviously and we managed to eventually get permission from the council to, to build this shed on this patch of land which is right next door to Clayton House, um, which is the community centre. And, and we basically um, started 
two years after we got going and um, we had to clear it all. It was a, uh, um, in quite a state, it was pretty, a lot of weeds, a lot of rubble and everything else. We got it um, all. Um, by this time, there was about 40 guys that were involved in Men's Shed and it was a, a, a quite a big project. But um, And we started to um, get the land prepared and built. And fortunately, we have a guy there that is a project manager and he was brilliant at uh, being able to design it and get it all sorted. So, um, and the building that we looked at was it was originally six meters by 17 meters in size and it was a wooden construction we we had we couldn't make it a permanent construction because it was built over the top of a, a water main and they wouldn't let us build a, a permanent structure uh, right um, interesting uh, yes so we then had to um and also just in case they ever wanted the land back we we couldn't didn't want it to be permanent so um we all mucked in and, and built this. Uh, it was now, and we completed this shed about four years ago and, and kitted it all out. We opened, as I say, we opened it. Am I, am I correct to say that you had uh, accessibility ramps and all that sort of thing there as well? It looked like from the picture I saw, it looked great. Yeah. We um, made sure that we had disability access there. We had it trialed out with a wheelchair user to see whether it would would work and everything else and so and obviously fire regs and everything else we got it all sorted we have about four guys there that were electricians and so they we did all the elect in fact we did everything for it so um uh, we managed to get some funding from various charities the whole building cost twelve thousand pounds originally wow. Um, so you had, uh, you've got a six meter by 17 meter building out of a 12,000 pound budget. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. We, we got a lot of um, stuff that were given to us. All the electrics was given to us, the cabling and everything else. The wooden structure, wooden um, structure, some of it was from a local school. They were knocking down a building, so they managed to get that salvaged. Um, the whole thing, as I say, cost 12,000 pounds to build. Would it, would it be uh, correct to say, um, Peter, that um, you were able to get this initial lottery grant because uh, Open Road was already an established um, charity? Open Door, sorry. Yes, it, I think it's vitally important. Well, we found it really useful to have a, um, a, an umbrella charity because the person that is the director is brilliant at fundraising and, and, um, and we also get the support from the admin and all the finance and everything else so it's um yeah it was it makes our job so much easier really that's yeah. really useful yeah because the, the the eligibility of course it, it comes in you, you need to you, in order to be eligible for such grants you, you'd need to have that backing so absolutely a particular yeah. civil shed that's amazing thank you yeah yeah and, and track record to establish track record is is really useful to support a fledgling organization like um yeah so uh, over the years it's grown quite considerably really i mean on our books we've got a hundred guys that that are there and we regularly get about 70 attendees a week um, 70 yeah how many days are you open three days a week three to, to, of that there there's about um 50 core guys that would come 
and some come more than one day, some, you know, just an afternoon or an hour. So, and how, what's the population of Exmouth? Thirty-seven thousand. Okay. Yeah. So it's quite a big, um, yeah, it, it's quite a nice buzz about it. And and in fact, we we were finding that when you get to about 25, 30 guys in the shed, it, it gets a bit cramped, as you can imagine. Health and safety goes out the window if you're not careful. And so we basically felt that we'd outgrown this, this building and um, we, we felt we need to expand it um, and enlarge it. So we're just in the process of finishing off phase two, which is another building. So we've extended it. We had a, obviously a bit more land, and so it's now nearly twice as big. Twelve, 12 meters by seventeen meters. That's huge, isn't it? <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> I think my house is uh, seven meters by ten meters. It's massive. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it's um. Yes, it, we're very very pleased with it. I mean, it's great. It, we haven't we haven't quite almost finished the uh, the next next phase and that's where we're putting all our big machinery like table saws and band saws and routers and all that sort of thing so we can keep a uh, watchful eye on guys that are going in there yeah um, so for example if someone goes in there they have to switch on and we have to make sure that uh, They've done all the training and don't cut their hand off. We were speaking yeah. to a shed earlier that is working on a system whereby each of the machines has got a colour code and people put the colour on the shedder's badges. So if the, if, the, if the bandsaw is red, then you have to have a red spot on your badge to operate the bandsaw. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have heard of another shed where they've got um, RFID badges. Yeah which actually disconnect the power to the machine um, if you're not wearing the RFID badge. However, the big snag with that is that shedders sometimes forget to bring their badges with them. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and what, ha what happens if somebody just tiptoes up behind you and they've got a badge and all of a sudden sparks into life? That's quite <laughs> I, I don't know, Dan. <laughs> so what kind of activities do you get up to in your mega shed in, uh, in Exmo? Well... There's three areas that we do really. We, we obviously guys come in and do their own thing and make things for themselves. We try and do one or two things for sale. So we have things at summer sales and uh, winter and Christmas and that sort of thing. And the other thing, we do a lot of work for the local charities and schools and individuals. So, we, you know, like Lifeboat, uh, RNLI, uh, hospice, schools, everything else. So we, Last year we did about 200 different projects over the over the time. Fantastic. Yeah. I was going to say, do they find any time to put the kettle on? Um, yeah, <laughs> we drink a lot of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that on your on your uh, uh, on your website it said we offer new skills, friendly banter, and tea and biscuits. And I yes. thought, that's that's perfect. And I did notice there's a couple of supermarkets very close to you, so you're never going to run out of those. <laughs> well, Open Door is, um, we've got a cafe there, so, and uh, we've got lots of links with some of the big supermarkets, and they're very generous, really. They, they give us lots of stuff. Good. Yeah. I mean, we don't charge um, at all. Guys will put in a pound for tea and coffee throughout the day. 
so it's not a we've been able to get funding without needing to charge how do most of your shedders get there is it walking or is it by car do you have a car um, parking problem not really they're not allowed to park in the clayton house area because they've got residents in, in the flats above the community center but they can park on the road um there's a couple of areas where they can park it's not really been too much of a problem. That's good. So, um, some of them walk, um, a lot of them come by bus. Some of them are disabled or, or whatever, all different sorts. We've got, um, the youngest we've had is uh, 12. We're, we're insured for 12 plus, upwards, as long as they come with a parent. Um, we've had lots of youngsters that will come along for, for a little while and learn some skills. That, that's amazing because um, we, uh, you know, uh, most sheds that, that we'd be familiar with would be 18 plus. And of course, mostly old, old fogies like ourselves. But to have uh, some youngsters, we've, we've interviewed a few people from sheds um, with connections to schools, which has been fabulous. But that, that's, that, that's really good to hear. I, I, uh, within Westbury Shed that I was involved in, we did have a little connection with a local uh, invited into a little preschool and we made a little tiny bench for them and like knocking dowels in with wooden hammers and the, the kids yeah. just absolutely adored that it was wonderful yeah that's great we've done mud kitchens for some of the local schools and that sort of thing we're trying to link up with um, a special school which is nearby it's based in Bicton College and we had one of the tutors come in and said could they bring some youngsters to come you know do some ex work experience 14 and 15 year olds so um, they've come with their tutors and um, so that's hopefully something we can start to do. I think that um, some experiences that, that we've seen about working with special educational needs schools is that often um, the kids in the school who may struggle with concentrating on schoolwork can actually concentrate quite well on practical subjects like you know making bird boxes and operating drills and things like this. And they, can, they can often get really engaged in that. Yeah. The local youth club that meet in Clayton House, they've been in and we've made some um, planters for, for them. And so they came in one evening and it was quite chaotic, but it was good fun. <laughs> About uh, 10 youngsters came in and we, we gave them skills and helped put that, you know, they helped put it all together and everything else. But, I mean, these 200 projects that you've been involved with, that, that's a huge number of, work, of, of pieces of work in the community. Can you give us some examples of things you've done for people like the RNLI or schools? Or? Yeah, um, the uh, hospice care was one that they have a fate every year, a big fate, and they wanted us to make some equipment for um, like Flat the Rat. Um, we did Coconut Shy, uh, a golfing game and lots of other things. One of the guys made all this stuff and uh, we paint, had to paint them in nice colours and everything else. One of the guys who comes along used to be a, a clown in the um, Irish and uh, during the winter when it was quiet he, he used to paint the, the lorries, you know, all the different various colours and everything else. It was a brilliant artist so he was able to paint all these things and they looked really good. <laughs> well, like the traditional circus colours and yeah, yeah, motifs. Yeah. Did you know about his skill before you had this project on the go? He's very, very good at model making and all that sort of thing. So we knew he was quite a good artist and, and that sort of thing. So that was, uh, but he came into his own when he um, did that. 
Because we find we find in our shed that sometimes, you know, people won't put their hand up and says, I have this skill. But no. if a project comes in where that skill is matched, they suddenly go, oh, yeah, I've done a bit of French polishing in the past. <laughs> or, oh, you know, and you think, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, they, and you say, well, why didn't you tell us this? Well, you should have asked. You know, <laughs> well. Do you get them to put down on their form what things they've done in the past? Or? Yeah, but, but they're not very good with forms. No, they're not. It's, no. it's things like, you know, skills or interests, you know, anything interesting or, you know, or, yeah. or lots or things like this. I mean, the worst one, we had to bounce one of the forms because when we ask about the any medical conditions we should know about, they wrote, mm, lots and lots and lots. <laughs> Yeah, what, what do you want to know? <laughs> yeah. um, um, the RNLI, again, they wanted one of these um, things where you put your head through and you take a photo. Of I saw that. Yeah. I, I saw, uh, yeah, excellent. <laughs> one of the local schools in, in the Little Estate, they wanted some benches put around trees, so we built those. And they had a garden that they wanted pergolas built. So we've done lots of sheds for people. So East Devon wanted some sheds, and so we did a lot of work for East Devon District Council. You got good connections with East Devon, though, have you not? The council? Yeah, they've been really encouraging to us over the time. I'm sorry about the abrupt ending. Unfortunately, at that point of the interview, we had a corruption on the sound that we just couldn't put right. So apologies again for that. Peter closed that session by encouraging all his shedders to stay connected and wishing shedders countrywide best best wishes. You're listening to Shed Happens on Froome FM and 96.6 FM locally and online and on demand worldwide at froome.fm. Now, I, sorry, at this point, Dan, I should have mentioned, um, we now have an intro to the Oswest Tree interview from Dan Gamay. Thank you very much, Patrick. Yes, well, technical issues have plagued us a little bit this week. And we did have some technical issues uh, initially connecting our Zoom call. But um, we did cut through it all in the end, and we uh, we started with a proper old shed chat and a lot of laughs. And uh, well, this is what happens. See what happens. You're all ready to rock and roll. I can see you as well, <laughs> You got me on. Can you see me? Yeah, I got yeah. That's on me phone. So you might want to prop it up somewhere where it can see you and you can see it and you don't have to hold it all the time just so you're comfy. Don't go to the thing. toilet with it. <laughs> <laughs> Old men and technology. Fun, wonderful. <laughs> I, I have to right, say, we, we are already recording before I had the chance to say we are recording. But I might <laughs> just use that oh. clip in our trailer. <laughs> Right, can I just ask one concession? I've got to put my hearing aids in. <laughs> oh, I, I've only just got these. The trumpet was getting in the way when I was getting on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> oh, that's better. I can, I can, oh, I can understand everybody now. Well, look, fantastic. I'm so pleased that we persevered, Hilbert, and it's great to see you and Ken. Um, Hilbert and Ken from the Oswestry Shed. Welcome to Shed Happens. The Oswestry Shed built their own shed uh, a few years back now, but um, perhaps, Ken, you could um, give us an idea of how that all came about. Yes, certainly. Hilbert and I were sitting in the pub on a Friday night, and Hilbert said to me, did you see that programme about the sheds in Ireland? 
the other night on the TV and I said, yes, from the discussion, and I said, that sounds like a good idea. And that's where it started. Hilbury contacted um, somebody from uh, Men in Sheds in Shropshire, and I, they gave us some information. We met with one of their people in uh, Milano's coffee shop in Osmond Street, and it went from there. We, we all put, the, the, the guy from uh, Meisters, uh, John, became our first secretary. He wanted to join us because he lived near Oswald Street. So um, that's where we started. We all put a fiver in, started, opened a bank account with £15 and uh, went from there. We got the opportunity through the uh, NFU, actually. Uh, they put us on to uh, Oswald Street Showground and they very, very kindly said, they would give us a five-year lease on a piece of land, which basically they wanted clearing because it was wooded <laughs> and it was no good to them. So they let us have it rent-free for five years. We, we did, we get a, to find this. We had a lot of help from Oswald Street Council, um, Corrie Davis in particular, and Kate Main. We, we went from there, but it was, it was a, a difficult time to start with. We, we were having a meeting one day in Whittington Castle, uh, in, the, in the cafe. And one of the customers in there overheard us talking, talking about, uh, we just got this piece of land, but didn't know what we were going to put on it. And he said that he knew of a, um, a place, uh, A to Z Engineering, who wanted to get rid of a porter cabin, if we could transport it. So. That's what we did. Hilbury raised some money through uh, Seven Hospice, I think. Hilbury. Seven Hospice, yeah, it was, yeah. To get transport, which was good of Seven Hospice. And Loosemores, wasn't it, that did it for us? Yeah, Shrewsbury Firm, Loosemores, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, as Ken said, we had been a, you know, given this piece of ground and we started clearing it and all the rest of it. And um, John had said, or as Ken said, overheard us. We got in touch with A to Z and asked how much they wanted for the cabin. They said, you can have it. See, they were moving site from our village to one up the road. I think they just wanted to get shot of it, you know. So we put the slab down. We, put, we went and measured the um, cabin and the, where the feet were. Put some slabs down, you know, made some boxes, made the slabs. And then, as Ken said, we got in touch with um, Seven Hospice and they paid for the, uh, the removal. £300 to take it just across the village. <laughs> and anyway they dropped it on onto the um onto the pads and it fitted perfectly and we were chuffed to bits with it and uh, just as it was going dropping down about six foot off the ground one of the anchors at the top of the shed broke remember that ken very well yeah i was standing about we 10 bang, we, all, we all ran for it but the three anchors uh, the other three anchors held and we got it down on the floor and that was where, that was our first um first cabin 214 Ken, wasn't it? Something like that? The very first well, meeting we had in Milano's was in February 2014, yeah. It would be 2015 when the, the porter cabin arrived. We became a, a charity CIO December 2014, which opened up lots of um, opportunities for us to, uh, to raise money. I, I would recommend any shed to get that done as soon as possible. Yeah. It gives you a bit of gravitas when you're when you're applying for money. It means that you're serious, you know. 
and uh, you're not just uh, looking for holiday money. <laughs> um, you know, Ken, it's a really interesting point you make. I always say when people are looking for, for premises and for property to talk about it, but I, I've never heard of, of, of a conversation in a cafe being overheard and resulting in a free container no, being it's... made available to a shed. That's fantastic. That was and, and I'm looking at a picture of it now, and um, it looks like a really smart container too. It was great. It's fantastic. It's about 25, 30 years old, and it leaks. We had to put we put we put a new web on. What did we put on the top? Like a rubberized web, didn't we, Ken, to keep it keep the water out? It was a, a pond liner. Yeah. Is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> I know one of the I know the floor was rotten because one of our members. Um, he sat on one of the chairs and put the leg through the floor, so we had to repair the floor as well. <laughs> He's like six foot three, this lad. And his knees sat on this chair. Boom. Oops. <laughs> there you go. So you used the container as the kind of workshop and basis for, for building your shed? It's a, it's a, port, a proper porter cabin. And it, it came as, a, it was, was an office. And we turned the, 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 the part that was the office into a kitchen and uh, put in a microwave, kettle, all, all of the necessary things in life, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, one of the lads in the village was having his kitchen refitted, so he gave us all the worktop to put into the, which was the the head boss's office, and then the rest was where we, you know, had, was the canteen, the communal meeting area, sitting area, you know. Mm. So then that was that, and of course you soon realised it was too small. Yeah, at, the, at that point, when we had when we got the porter cabin, I think we had about eight or nine members, then, and it started once we got the premises membership shot up. Before we knew it, we were on twenty members. You know, and it's uh, then that it, like Hilbury said, it wasn't big enough. So we drew up some plans. Hilbury and I drew up a plan of a shed, costed it. And then I wrote a letter to a local charity, the Hilton Jones Trust. Yeah, that was, can I just interrupt you there? Can, I mean, Corey Davis has been a fabulous help to us at that time, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Oh, he was really, we had a meeting in the office, in the council offices in town, and Corey put us onto this lady. Anyway, so I interrupt. Go on, carry on, mate. Right. So we wrote to her uh, with all our ideas and, and why we wanted a shed you know all the stuff and we told her the story about it starting in australia all that and she said she'd like to come and have a look and talk talk to us so we invited her over and made her a cake and uh, <laughs> she listened to us hilbury presented the uh, the costings and everything which i think the whole thing was going yeah. to cost about six and a half thousand pounds Six thousand three hundred thirty-two pounds, thirty-two pence. Remember? Right. Yeah. She, and she wrote, she wrote the check and popped the thirty-two p on the end as well. <laughs> what was that for? A Mars bar. <laughs> but she came down with her trustees from her charity, didn't she? Yeah, she did. But what what happened was we we told her all this, and she said we we'd ask for five thousand pounds to go towards it. We would put the rest to it. Uh, she said, give us a couple of minutes. She went outside with her three trustees, came back five minutes later with a cheque in hand for the full £6,000. There was tears. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, yeah. Celebration that day. Wonderful. And how long had you been waiting up until that point to have a building, uh, Ken? To have the, 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 the workshop, you mean? Yes. Yeah, oh... I don't know, Hilbury, how long was it? 18? No. It wasn't long, eight months, 12 months, it wasn't long, was it? No, it wasn't. 
And we marked out the footprint, if you remember, with some stakes that were where we want the size of the cabin that we wanted. Because she, she came in and said, is that where it's going to go? And I, and I remember saying, yes, that's it. And then I was the treasurer at the time and explained that we put some money in to get it going. And we got raised a little bit of money. And we had £120 in our, in our accounts. And I, knew I was doing it with a ledger. And I said, that's all we've got. <laughs> she said, where's that from? I said, well, what we've scraped together. And she wrote the cheque there and then. Fabulous, you know. And I had it in the bank about two hours later before you changed the money. <laughs> <laughs> so then you embarked on building your shed. That, that just, it just took off. About uh, eight or ten of us involved in the building of it at that time. And I must admit, it was hard work, but it was really enjoyable. It really pulled the team together because it's not easy building a, a nine metre by six metre shed. When you've never done one before, you know it's. Uh, but you had to clear a wood as well, though, didn't you? That that was oh. the first job. We cleared the wood all through the winter. That was, wasn't it? Cold and wet, and we chopped. We got a guy to chop the uh, trees down for us, and his pavement was the timber, so he didn't look quite well out of that. He didn't need any cash. He just took the wood, you know, because we had to get all the stumps out, didn't we? Some stumps out. <laughs> the guy that that chopped the trees down said he would get them out with his. Uh, just pull them out couldn't get them out so, um, we had to get a guy with a digger to come in didn't the housing society pay oh, for that that was, was Star Shropshire Town and Rural Housing that's right they give us the money for it didn't they it's a housing association in the local area they give us the money because they felt that some of they, they specialise in housing single men and they thought if they give us the money some of their clients may use the, may use the, the group you know so, so Hilbury, you, you seem to do very well in terms of linking up with other organisations like the National Farmers Union, the councils and all the other organisations. What about commercial businesses? I mean, I, I understand the, the person cut down the trees, but what about, did other companies help you with the building of the shed? Well, I have to say that we worked it all out and we got, we got the shuttering all down. There were some builders on there and the Polish guy, the foreman, asked us what we were doing while we were moving this A to Z cabin and we got to know him. And he came along and helped us level off the, um, the shuttering with his laser on his own time. And then I phoned up a guy to, we wanted some 20 mil crushing run to put the concrete on. And uh, I phoned up this chap and we wanted 16 ton. And he came along and dropped it off and, and he gave it to us. It wasn't enough. So we rang him again. He bought another 16 ton and said, I can't, I can't give you this. So, which is fair enough. You, you know, one man band kind of thing. So we, give, we, we were charged for that. So effectively, we got 32 tonnes, half price. We then approached um, Tudor Griffiths, which is a local uh, firm. They um, dig out at Ellesmere, sand and gravel company, told them what was going on, had a meeting with them, and they kindly supplied the concrete half price. The, you know the conveyor belts where you put concrete into a site? Well, they're about £150 a day to hire it, so that, they gave us that freight. And then Ken's neighbour came along. Who was that neighbour, Ken? What was your friend's name? Dennis. Yeah, I can't remember his second name. But... He supervised the whole thing, didn't he? He, came, he brought a power float. Do you know what a power float is? Like a fat upside-down fan with a big, big electric motor on it. Anyway, we got that on it. He made a cracking job of it. He did, absolutely. Yeah. Great job he made of it. And that was the base. Let it go off, strip the shuttering. And uh, then we started to, to make the uh, cabin itself, didn't we, mate? <laughs> We did. So what about things like security and heating and electricity and water? How did it all work? 
well, we we're linked. We're into the showgrounds electrical system, obviously. So we put it into the shed. So it's obviously fuse board and all the rest. But then we and one of our members is an electrician, and he's qualified to sign it off as well. So he did the wiring for us. Put the skylights in the roof. So and so we've got natural light as well. Fine with water because there was a toilet block from the showground. Oh, that's right. So we took a supply of water from there. That's right. Yeah. We also they also let us use the uh, toilet block as well, so we built our own. So there we have we had a porta cabin and the wooden shed. <laughs> and um, have you done any more construction or any more plans for the more construction? Two more. <laughs> <laughs> Go, tell us about it, Elbury. Now become a village. A <laughs> 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 shed village. Oxford village. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we um, got the wooden the shed going. And predominantly timber, you know, people as you know, we've got lathes. We've had loads of tools given to us by people, unbelievable. All sorts of things. Ken and I picked up a surface planer and the thickness of me one day from the village down the road. It was under a tarpaulin. Ken renovated it, which it treated about 30 foot, a really old one. And it's a fabulous bit of kit. So we got all the woodwork machinery going, um, table saw and lathes. We had two big lathes given us. So then, of course, some of the lads want to do a bit of engineering. So we bought, yeah. So we bought a shipping container. Again, we put the pads down for it, bought it, had it delivered. Still saw the door in the side to get in and out. So we didn't have to keep opening the big doors at the one end. And in there, there's, um, it's a hobby size metal replay, the milling machine. Well, we've got oh, we've got welding gear, we've got compressor, table, all insulated, all earthed, you know. Oh, it's all done properly, you know. And so what's the, what's the other building then you've got plans for? or, or? It's decided they wanted to uh, get away from woodworking and uh, metalworking and do something quiet. Now, it's, some of the men, our members are 80 odd years old, you know, and they're, they're, it's, it's hard work sometimes. So they just want somewhere that's quiet to sit. So we decided we'd uh, have a, an art and craft shed, dust free now. It just needs the floor laying, doesn't it? How big is the arts and crafts shed? Four metres square, 16, four metres down each wall. But we did ask the showground, could we move to the side of the metal, of the, what we call the tin shed, you know? And they said, oh no, you know. <laughs> you're starting, you're starting said, to build yeah. a little city there. I said, you're taking over. I said, so, anyway, <laughs> so, anyway, so we said, we'll go at the back of it, you know? So we, we went and we had a look at it, scratch our heads of it. And I was having a new patio put down the back of the house. And we got materials there, blocks and that. So we went, he went down one uh, day with his mate and, and he built the pillars. We put the pads in on the, the higher bit of ground, ready for the, the floor. And then he came and built the pillars for it, didn't he, Ken? Yeah. Behind us is a very, very steep bank with trees on it, which was part of the wood that we chopped down. And we were very conscious that if we took too much out of it then uh, the whole lot could slip down trees and all into the into our shed so we decided to raise yeah, the we shed. elevated the new shed on pillars so it's now like a big veranda at the back of the uh, metalwork shed and uh, we you, we could actually if we wanted to step out from that onto the roof of the metalworking shed so, <laughs> so, it, 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 don't tell me you've got construction plans to go up as well as sideways. 
We're thinking about going underground now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a cup of tea terrace or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but as a local firm of of uh, financed a lot of that. It's, what's it? Is it ACO or ACO or something? ACO. ACO. They they make and produce um, sell smoke alarms. They they approached us. They came to us and said, "We're doing we're giving money to the local charities. What would you would you like some?" And of course, we've got this art jet going, and we didn't want to build another one, so we they gave us the money to buy one from a local firm. Of course, prior to the shed actually coming, we um, put all the joists down and just dropped it on and it fitted and then we fully lined it, insulated it, painted it, uh, put a kitchen in so we can wash the brushes if people are painting and stuff. And then there's just the floors going down now, I think, and it can. Yeah. It's all there. It just, we just can't do anything at the minute. It's really interesting. Yesterday, um, there was another radio show and there was a guy who said that the journey of building the shed is as important as actually having the shed. And it sounds like you guys have really embraced that journey. It hasn't just been about the destination. You've actually enjoyed the whole process. It's lovely yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah. And especially building the first big one, everyone really got stuck into that. It was fantastic. Uh, one of the lads saw some Odyssey Showground have sales occasionally on a Saturday, and anybody can go along and take the stuff, and they have, a, they have an auction. Said that, he rang me up and said, there's some timber for sale here, Elmery. I said, do you think there's enough for the, to build the shed? He said, there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of three by two. I said, well, get him, mate, have it. So he bought it, and I was in charge at the time. I gave him the money, that reimbursed him. So that was, the, that was a good start, real cheap timber to get, get stuck into, you know. So then we just laid, just laid this timber on the slab, and we measured it all up, because I'm a chippy by my background. And we just got it all up, screwed it to the blimmy thing, and next thing we got this skeletal shed up, you know, which needed... A lining on the outside, a lining on the inside, a roof to go on it. Guy from Raxon came and measured the trusses, and that was good fun putting those on, Ken. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> you've, been, you've been very resourceful in, in tapping into local trades and opportunities. They've been fantastic well. to me, they? It's yeah. like, you know, you know the BBC DIY SOS? It's a bit, you've always created a mini version of that, haven't you? <laughs> we've, been on, we've been on that. Have you? <laughs> yeah, we did it. Yeah. Yeah. We did we it. Down to... Uh, in the Shropshire Hills, yeah, by Craven Arms that way. And they approached us, they, BBC Bristol rang me and asked us if we'd like to go and get involved. And Ken and I and a few others from the shed, we met at the Shrewsbury Shed and the two girls came up from Bristol BBC and interviewed us all, got the old cameras going and, and they invited us to go down to, uh, and we did the DIY SOS down in, by Craven Arms, two weeks again. And we did, put, did you build another shed down there? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we did. We built the, the fireman who'd lost his wife and he was living in a caravan with his little girl. And he'd been trying to do their house up and he was getting snowed under with it all, you know. And they asked us to build a playhouse, tree house in the garden. So we did. Three so, I saw that. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well done. That yeah, was us. We were on that, yeah. Yeah, we built the street. We built the treehouse. It's an excellent show. I absolutely love it. That's amazing that you're on that. But well done. Great. <laughs> Tell me, guys, your your um uh, your position where you are on the showground. Uh, I know it's a little bit out of town. I I was very impressed with your little uh, array of pictures of how to get there on your website, uh, which does rather suggest that it's a bit of a convoluted journey. Is that right? Mm, not really. If you're coming out. <laughs> Yeah, if you're coming out of Oswald Street, you come down the, the Whittington Road, around the island, over the bypass, and then it's the first left, and that's it. And it, oh, right. It, I it think it was about 
there was about six pictures to describe that. Yeah, but that, that's that's one of our other founder members. Ah. OCD, you know. <laughs> I recall now, I think on the, the little, um, there was a little video on the website, and I think it might have been... Uh, uh, it might have been Hilbury that was talking then, and I saw Ken looking at him, um, thinking, "What am I going to get a word in?" But uh, <laughs> yeah, the guy was John Well. But can I say, I think I think it's the most uh, lovely array of little boxes. We played that song two weeks ago on the show, and it seems ever so appropriate. Uh, and uh, it's a really, you know, it, it's it, you can see that it's building into this little sort of village and i think that's that's part of its charm and maybe maybe why you got to go start going backwards and building up the hill next i don't think we want to do any more after this one no. well well done it's, it's wonderful I, uh, you, you can't tell on radio but at one stage hilbury said uh, it was real fun building that roof wasn't it ken you didn't hear from ken but we could see him and he was shaking his head at the time uh, which way <laughs> 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 to be fair it was Ken and I that were up on the roof all the time, weren't we? I said I hated it. <laughs> I don't do well with heights. We have a shadow who says that he has a working at height policy, which is no one over 65 ought to go over more than a foot off the ground. That's right. <laughs> do you have lots of people that have served in the forces in your shed? No, there's a couple. But the shore ground itself is on the old RAF camp. It used to be the central base for the Royal Artillery in the UK. And the rugby club is, part of, is, is attached very close to the showground. And the rugby club clubhouse is the old officers' mess. And presumably the show has been cancelled uh, for this yeah, year. Yeah, they out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that, that's a blow. But let's hope things get back to, uh, to normal as, as soon as possible. Yeah, but it'll cost the showground. It's a shame because it's, it's their main source. Of, it's their biggest income for the year, you know. We're very grateful to the Ulster Showground for being given us a rent-free for five years. They deserve credit for that. Deserve yes. a mention. They deserve a mention, you know. Um, we'll, we'll put their logo up on the uh, on the show, uh, the show so. page as well. Well, I'm sorry, we, we are going to have to uh, call things to to an end, uh, gentlemen. So, so Hilbury and Ken, thank you very much indeed. Best wishes to all the Oswald Street Shedders. We wish you success with the Men's Shed Village at, in Oswald Street going forward. And if you have plans for it, build another one, do let us know. Thanks for that. Thank you for taking an interest in us. It's great. Yeah, good. Well, thank you very much. I should say goodbye now. Thanks. A fantastic story from the Osmosbury Shed Village. I love the Shed Village um, that they're building. Um, and they did talk about going underground at one stage, I think. They did. The that would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so congratulations to all the shedders up there in Osmosbury. It was great to hear about Exmouth Shed and the fact that they are yet another shed journey that's gone down the path of establishing their own self-built shed. Um, I think this is a really interesting route um, and it's probably because there's so many almost giant flat pack versions of log kind of cabins that are now available and it is a potentially if you can find a premises owner uh, with a little bit of land available and churches do seem to be one of the organizations that that, that are, are kind of coming up to support the shed movement and um, yeah make make that approach and see whether or not it could fit for you because there is money out there uh, and we can advise on that if, if you are interested sorry one of the things that i think we've we've talked about before is that the journey to get into your shed is as important as the shed itself and in all these four cases i think help building the shed themselves has helped forge a team which is, has been um, useful going forward mm. sorry dan you were saying 
Absolutely, and uh, and well done to uh, East Devon Council for their uh, connections there. At, uh, they've obviously been very useful to Exmouth Shed, uh, whose numbers are very impressive too. So let's hope before too long they can get those numbers back in and the youth centre and everything else operative again, because uh, it's such a shame for the community to be missing that at the moment. Um, yeah, I think you're at a good point, Dan. I think um, the, 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 the linkage with the local councils is really important going forward, and all four of those sheds have very good links with the local councils. Yeah, and just following on from that, actually, so outside of just building the own shed, that actually sheds that are not afraid of talking about it publicly, you know, to the point that somebody might overhear <laughs> that they've got something going on and, and being really uh, not, you know, not um, aggressive with it, but almost um, pro constantly talking about this idea, this vision, and not being shy about that and actually asking for help from anybody that might be listening is a, is a really healthy approach to to building the shed and the links with the community as well. Yeah, it's great. Before we go to the break, a short section on the use of Zoom video conferencing system. Um, other video conferencing systems are available. Um, we hear from some people that they're reluctant to try Zoom or Skype. Uh, we encourage you to just do it. Graham Storer, a shedder from Whitby, was reported this morning in the Whitby Gazette. The essence of sheds, he said, is not what is made or done, it is the comradeship and family feel. That will continue mainly through our online presence and electronically. Well done, Whitby. Um, they're, they're big Zoom users. Listen again now to Hilbury Jones from Oswest Tree and Graham Stiles from the Shetlands, both connecting for their first time on Zoom. Can you see me? Yeah, I got yeah. it. <laughs> Is that on your phone, Hilbury? That's on my phone. Don't go the to the thing. toilet with it. <laughs> Old men and technology, fun, wonderful. <laughs> Tell me, is this the first time you've used Zoom? It is the first time I've used Zoom, yeah. It's very can good. You give, can you give us a quick overview on how you found connecting up and, and, and actually it, it, doing it, what we're doing now? It was very easy. I just went in my browser uh, and I looked for a Zoom app. I loaded that into the computer uh, a day ago and I got your email today, I pasted that in, uh, and it connects straight away. Brilliant, so you are now a Zoomer? I'm a Zoomer, Fantastic. <laughs> okay, yeah. Zoomer. He's a boomer Zoomer. He's a boomer Zoomer. Zoomer, my heart went boom. <laughs> Be like Graham and Hilbury, stay connected using technology. We're coming up to the end of part one of this week's Shed Happens. Do stay with us and we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes after the advert break. In part two, we hear from the Hailing Island and the Alton Men's Sheds. We also hear from Colin Denny from the Bromley and Greenwich Sheds. The break. Welcome back to part two of Shed Happens. In this section, we hear from two sheds that have built their own sheds and also from one that runs sheds remotely in local care homes. Here's the Hailing Island men's shed who have just finished building their shed, but unfortunately not opened it yet because of the lockdown. Um, I'm joined now by Roger Davis from the Hailing Island men's shed, Hims. We're, we're talking to Roger because his shed has built a brand spanking new shed and uh, we want to hear the story behind it. So, Roger, welcome to Shed Happens. Thank you very much. Can you give us an idea of, um, um, you know, the, what you went through you know, to get ready to build your shed and um, building it? And 
unfortunately now not opening it, but there you go. Anyway, if you go back to the beginning of the building of your shed, that would be great. Well, it was, it's, it's been a long, long saga. It started back in November 2015 with the idea of a men's shed. And there was a meeting of which 21 attended. Back in, I think it was the following January, we started having uh, weekly meetings, which obviously generated an interest so we could move forward. Uh, we were approached by the chair of the British Legion and asked if we'd like to knock down a row of old wooden buildings and build our own shed and use the club facilities as well. Well, it turned out that they hadn't asked their head office, if you like, and permission would not be granted. So we tried other locations around Hayling Island, and we then, I think it was June 2016, we became a charitable incorporated organisation. Also, I think it was about that time, the United Reformed Church passed a proposal for us to use a bit of un unused land adjacent to their church, which in fact was ideal. We had a look at it, um, and with the building regulations where you have to leave a metre round the perimeter of a building, we ended up having a building which is 15.4 metres long by 6 metres wide. Originally it was going to be a log cabin, but it started raising issues over fire hazard because we were quite close to the other building. And with the fire protection, the cost would have gone up. So we looked into other buildings and came up with a, a composite, 14mm core composite panel building, steel structure, um, which had fireproof in, um, filler in the coat, in the cladding. And this seemed to sort of meet all our requirements. Um, we didn't want windows, we had skylights and we could put extractor fans. This sort of improved the security of the building. Was that no windows to, to improve security? No no windows, because if you put it on ground level, you're potentially inviting people. No, I, I understand. So we had them on the roof. Yep. It gave us a lot of light inside. Uh, it's quite amazing. But the for ventilation, we had to put two extractor fans in, which... Um, Actually, it's better than having windows open and what have you, because you're also in a built-up area where you know noise could be potentially classed as a nuisance. Is that is it a residential area or a commercial area that you're oh, building? It's a sort sort of commercial, but behind some of the commercial areas are flats, which almost come almost adjacent to the building. So you have to be very much aware that if you've got machine tools in the shed, you could be making a lot of noise. And um, what was the planning application process like? Was that tough? It, it actually was not too bad. It was a bit tedious, is probably the word, <laughs> and it did take a long time to get the planning application through. But once we got it through, that it went, you know, it went quite quickly. We had to have obviously building inspections at, uh, when we had the foundations put down, and because this was a, just literally a greenfield site. How did you raise the money for this? We tried a number of organisations, and some offered us start, well, start-up loan. We had, I think, of about £500. And then there was a uh, charity, or fa charity foundation on the island, also gave us uh, 
I think about £10,000, if I, my memory serves me right. But we ended up getting the building financed by the Olia Community Foundation. Oh, okay. They, you know, they're the, um, the waste yeah. disposal people. Yeah. And they have been absolutely brilliant. Um, and that allowed us to actually get the shed built. So what was the total cost of the shed? Do you know? Yeah, the um, total cost of the shed... In all, at, at completion, well, I think it was 20-odd thousand for the shed. And that is, don't forget, it's 15.4 by 6 metres. It was about 20,000. We did the foundations ourselves. And I think the total bill came to just about £30,000. One of the problems we did have in this process was actually getting the electrics running. And uh, it started getting very... Um, complicated with the council who wanted large amounts of money to allow us to do it so we um, the United Reformed Church has been absolutely brilliant in, in cooperation and helping us and it got to the stage that we were about two months off before we planned the opening when they said that uh, we could use one of their phases of their electrical supply and that was brilliant and you know the whole process of construction the shed has been done on with cooperation of local people yeah i mean it's it's really important but you seem to have reached out to the commercial world the um the church and uh, and got them on side which is fantastic i mean the builder that was building the flats that are next door to the shed helped with diggers and things like this he actually ended up putting the shed up for us saved us a fortune because it's the actual company that manufactured it and passed it on to their subcontractors, it would have cost us a lot more money. But there was a mutual cooperation between the builder next door and ourselves. So it was, it, it's all down to, yeah, using local people wherever mm. you can. Yeah. It's humbling too, isn't it, the support that we do get from, uh, from the people in our communities, I think, for, uh, for the men's shed. It's really humbling. I, I mean, I can't believe it. We've had machine tools given to us, donated, we were fortunate to have a little company on the island and uh, the local DIY shops have been also superb in you know, helping us out in getting the machines in and into the building. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been a quite a quite an experience. I'm sure it has. How long did the construction take? The construction actually took only about I think it was about six six weeks, I think. The hardest job is seemed to it came as a big flat pack, <laughs> uh, and the guys that were building it spent, I think, two days scratching their heads. Trying to figure it out. They, I think they sort of came out and put, you know, the advert on the TV and said, <laughs> maybe you should have looked at the plans first. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you kind of, you know, take the keys, if you like, or open the door for the first time? Well, it was about June, I think it was last year, and we moved in quite quickly. We were limited in what we could do until we had a sort of another building control officer inspection, and that took a little time to get them there. And they had raised a few issues, like you know, where's all the labels for fire escape and fire alarms and various sort of things that we needed to do. But they said we could carry on and do some work, like building some benches and. You know, a lot of people had uh, equipment in various garages around the island. Yeah. 
Um, it got to the stage where we could hardly move, and we had to be quite, you know, um, rough or tough, I should say. Tough, ruthless, yeah. Ruthless. <laughs> you know, hang on a minute, we can't move. Um, but, it, you know, we got this sort of target date for, I think it was March the 20th, where it was going to be officially opened. Oh, what, March the 20th, just gone? Yeah, just gone. Oh. In fact, uh, it was a bit of a problem because we were rolling, everything was in place, food and all this, and the guests were all in line. And uh, I think it was March the 16th where I actually said there would be a, from then on we had to just cancel everything. We had food laid on and, you know. Who was going to be your guest of honour in terms of opening or cutting the ribbon or cutting through the chain on the door or whatever it was? Well, it was, <laughs> it was a bit difficult because it's one of the things that um, I found I've been doing it for about a year trying to find somebody who would open the shed um, you know basically people from DIY SOS but they wanted sort of £6,000 um, this sort of figures to come and open it and I tried Branson because he comes down to the island to sail uh, windsurf but in the end I got the Duke of Richmond who's the man who runs the Festival of Speed at Goodwood and he donated four tickets to the Festival of Speed. And so is he going to come back when you do, do your formal opening again? He has been amazing. Um, he, his PA has been brilliant. She said just let us know and we'll make a, you know, right after the shutdown we'll make arrangements and we'll come back and do the opening. We did fall foul of a site protocol problem because we the lady, or mayor of Havant, was invited, and I thought she would just be a guest, but apparently she takes seniority because she's responsible to the Lord Lieutenant, who's responsible to the Queen. Oh. And she goes above in protocol over the Duke of Richmond. It's the things you learn when you're doing men's sheds, isn't it, Roger? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's been absolutely amazing. You know. I'm, I'm just looking at your, your hymns, Hailing Island Men's Shed, um, newsletter sheet and it has a joke on the front page that says the nice part about living in a small town is that when you don't know what you're doing someone else does I guess holding on is a bit like that is it oh it's very don't forget there's only one bridge on and one bridge off and uh, yeah it is very much a you know, isolated community it's very parochial but the people are good I mean we get phone calls you know would you like some oak you know come along and get some wood from here, whatever we want, it seems that somebody that is always there. Yeah, no. Uh, one of the things that we did on Shed Happens in the first uh, the first couple of programs was to interview people from Guernsey and Shetland who run sheds on those islands, and um, on the basis that they're already a bit isolated. So when we come to the lockdown, perhaps they're going to be better qualified to deal with that than the rest of us who, you know who aren't so quite so isolated in our, um, you know, in the middle of Somerset or, or in the southeast. Well, I took over the chairmanship in February, and I must admit it could be the shortest and the most inactive chairmanship <laughs> in, in history. But I, when I took over, I suddenly realised all the uh, other things you have to get involved in. We are making rule books up. Um, the questions of, um, we've got, you know, people who can do wood turning and metal turning, but are they qualified to teach other people? And if other pe if they do teach other people and somebody else has an accident, where do we stand? There's a lot of uh, 
things you've got to think about. There is. Not just, not just the building, it's no. everything else. No. Um, and it, I found sort of various things that, while I started writing the handbook and the various protocols, you suddenly find that there's other things you need to do. You know, and that, that's where it's coming from. I mean, we're like the machines. We're going to colour code all the machines, and the people who are qualified to use those machines will have the same colour code as that machine on their badge. On their badge, that's a good idea. So it's immediate, you know, you can immediately see who's allowed to. Um, we've also had first aid courses. We are, I'm now looking in to get a defibrillator into the building because one of the things we cropped up when we did the first aid course, it said it was important to get a defibrillator as soon as possible. Well, ours is about 100 yards away outside Sainsbury's, across a very busy road. And I looked at the guys in the shed, and bearing in mind they're probably average age, I think they probably need a defibrillator by the time they got there. And one of the other things, I, I don't know whether you find, but it's very important to try and include everybody in the discussions. Yes. But I, I, I found that sometimes the responses back are very uh, very low percentage of the members. Well, yeah, you often get people who don't want to say something in an open meeting, but they may something, say something to you on a one-to-one a -one basis. Well, that's why I try and... Uh, that's, that's important because there yeah. are people who are... Um, what should I say? Uh, probably the easiest way of describing is, is shy. Shy. But their views are just as important as everyone else. Yeah. And also, at the moment, you know, because we're shut down, I designated somebody as a welfare officer so they any problems everybody's got a point of contact this uh, david who is the welfare officer he will ring round and talk to people as as do i and you know a few things have cropped up like you say with william well william why don't you tell the story about about your 79 year old who's got he's under he's under extreme lockdown isn't he he can't leave the house yeah, at all yeah, he's, uh, he lives with his uh, grandson, I think it is, and uh, girlfriend. I sort of did a phone him up, and uh, I said, you know, how are you doing? And he said, oh, my lawnmower's packed up. Uh, so I said, well, surely the local machine company will do it. And he, he said, well, I don't know. He said, I can't get through. So I got through to them, and they said they were on lockdown. But I, I, got, I found a gardener who was prepared to go in and do it. But, you know, it's one thing is that it's the whole network. There's always somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And that's the important thing at the moment is to make sure that the people do keep in touch. And if they do have any requirements, they, you can at least try and help sorting them out. The local shops deliver, our vegetable shop delivers vegetables a couple of the local stores will deliver. You know, if you want two litre milk or a box of chocolates and things like this. It was my wife's birthday the other day and I thought, oh, I really ought to get us just a little surprise. So I've got a bottle of Prosecco and a large packet of Pringle Crisp just to sit down in the evening and have a drink. The local shop delivered it in a little red bag, a little red um, gift bag. It seems to me that your your local your local suppliers are just amazing, really, in terms of helping with that kind of stuff. The whole thing is the whole thing is amazing, and I think it's it brings people together. So we have got now more interaction, like with the fire brigade, 
they want us to make some um, uh, tables for their barbecues, you know, picnic tables, um, and it's bringing all that in. You know, it's, it's, it's hopefully generating uh, interaction with other groups that, you know, help. Yes. The URC, we're talking, you know, with the URC about doing joint social evenings uh, or fundraising. It's very interesting, you know, because I was speaking to Alton earlier, and their shed is also built on church land as well. Yeah, I think it, I think if somebody wants to have a look at building a men's shed, in some cases, it's very good to look at the church side of it because a lot of them have got a fair bit of land, and they've got car parking, and they've got facilities as well. Yeah, yeah, and the, the halls are. Um, uh, sometimes you can use the, you know, the, the local hall attached to the church may not be used. With the URC, during the period of us getting the shed together, we use one of their halls for our meetings, and we've had a couple of little functions in their in, in the, their hall. We had a winter, a winter picnic in the in January inside, which you know it was all for the URC and, yeah. and the shed. And raised a little bit of money. Well, that's good. But now, um, now you have the lockdown. I guess it's tough, isn't it? Really. I think what we're trying to do with the lockdown is, I'm working behind the scenes at the moment because I'm trying to purchase some equipment, and uh, we have some funding, ring fence from the Cloth Workers Foundation in London, for purpose of buying machines. Um, we've already bought uh, two laptops and a printer, but we're looking to buy another machine. So what I do is then give a behind-the-scenes update. We'll start probably in this in this next hymn sheet. Our local ASDA gave us £800 worth um, of uh, £800 donation Fantastic. And to, to buy a fridge and things like that. And Jerry, who was our last chairman actually got caught short because he went up there to sort of discuss and they gave him a trolley and did a trolley dash around, the, <laughs> around Asda and he ended up, you know, we ended up with lots and lots of tea bags. Tea, coffees, uh, biscuits, sugar, yeah. Biscuits, biscuits up to our eyes, yeah. So, it, you know, it, it is research and just trying. You know, there's a lot of foundations out there that will um, help. But they, they don't... Some of them have their own parameters, um, but I think the mental health as aspect of the man shed, if you like, to improve, you know, to get people, men together, I think most people will accept the fact it's um, generically a man, men's organisation. Yeah. Uh, although we do have a, a couple of lady members, and apparently we have a, a, a ladies likely to join who is, is in fact a qualified wood turner. Yeah. But it's, that's important. It's important to, for that for the mental health side, and you explain that to the the various foundations because that is a very much uh, in vogue yeah. at the moment. Yes, it, it is, and um, it, a lot of shedders get a lot of value from attending the sheds. I've had people tell me it saved their marriages, saved their sanity, and sometimes saved their lives. Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably the case. I think it's important that when you retire, you know, especially even if you're married, you need that space. You need to be able to talk 
go away and come back and say, all this happened today, all that happened today. Uh, that's important. Anyway, look, Roger, I've enjoyed talking to you very much, and it's a very interesting story about the uh, Hailing Island Men's Shed. I wish that when um, the lockdown is, is, is released that you get to get the Duke of Richmond with all the official protocols opening your shed. But is there a message you'd like to give to um, shedders in, on Hailing Island or, or farther afield before we, before we go? No, I think uh, we communicate pretty well now. If they can't get it on, if they can't get the hymn sheet, I go around and deliver it. Okay, well done. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's an important form of uh, communication, because not all of them, as I say, are computer literate. Not all of them can be bothered <laughs> to look at the computer, so it's sometimes a lot easier for them to see something poked through their door. Well, Roger... Thank you very much indeed. Um, My pleasure. All right, and all the very best to all of the Hailing Island Shedders. Yeah, good luck to all the Shedders out there. Okay, thanks so much. Hope they stay safe. Stay safe. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye, bye. It was lovely in that piece to hear about the uh, the safety procedures and things in place. Uh, in our shed, we had everyone as a safety officer, which can come in very useful if you're doing a 100-yard dash to the defibrillator. <laughs> and uh, and I love his, his little story about the uh, the Duke of Richmond, too. But I won't say too much about that because there's protocol involved, apparently, so we must be a bit hush-hush. No good dose of ego going on again. <laughs> um, okay. See the latest newsletter from the Hailing Island Men's Shed. They call it the Hymns Sheet. Get it? Hailing uh, Island Men's Shed. And you, you can see that on, uh, on the Shed Happens.uk website. Go to the show pages from the top menu. Now, I'm afraid this next interview has some major technical difficulties. We had to interview Ian from the Alton Shed via telephone as he's not a PC user. And we hope it comes over okay. Ian Scott, welcome to uh, Shed Happens. Ian's from the Alton Men's Shed and uh, a few years back built their own shed. And this is um, a chat with Ian to see uh, how that happened. So, Ian, why don't you give us the kind of background to building your own men's shed in Alton? So, welcome from me, from Alton, New Hampshire. Right, I worked for a year in Australia, so I knew about men's sheds historically. And the consequence of that was I saw an opportunity in 2015 when I made a visit to another Hampshire shed that had just opened. was quite inspired by what they were doing down at Havant. And I came home, discussed it with my wife, then sent a email to the district council and within 24 hours, believe it or not, within 24 hours, council officials in my home talking to me about what my vision for a men's shed in autumn might be. That's where we started. We had a public meeting on the 25th of February at a public hall. About 30 people came along and at the end of that meeting, in the February, we had a show of hands to say we wanted to set up a shed in autumn, and by the end of March, we had got a committee of six, we'd got a bank account, and we called ourselves Autumn Men's Shed, which meant we were in a position to take funding from the district and town councils right from the start. So that's where we started. You did, you did well to get the council on board so quickly. That was fantastic. I was amazed. Yeah, and in fact, the guy, the officer concerned, is still a very close friend to the Alton Men's Shed, and we see him quite regularly at our meetings, and I can always pick up the phone 
and talk to him if I've got any issues. Brilliant. Well done. We spent the first three months looking for somewhere to operate from with no success until the Anglican Church Group in town made an offer on a space of land adjacent to their car park. This was a grass verge, big enough to put a single garage-sized building on. That was the offer. So, next thing, what do we do? We need to talk to the planning department as to whether it's feasible. Now, this was in a residential area with houses all around this car park, and we were wishing to build what I would describe as a light industrial building. We applied for or made application with a pre-meeting with the planning department and the lady I met was very interested. Her husband himself had just retired, so I was able to talk about what the well-being and the isolation and protection of older retired men was and she immediately came on board. In the discussions, I told her where the site was and she wanted to know exactly where it was going, what its size was, how far from the boundaries it would be, etc. She put in one or two serious criteria about its size, about its design, which I listened to and paid attention to. I was happy to keep the building as low as possible so that it didn't impact too much. No, she said, I want it tall enough to be usable and I want a pitch roof on it to make it look traditional. So I abided by all that and we put in an application probably in the May-June of 2015. By September, after quite a lot of jumping through hoops with environmental health, with noise, with opposition from neighbours, that we had quite strong opposition, very vehement, that this building should not be near to their property. Anyway, with the support of our town council, we gave us absolute support, the fullest support you can imagine at a public meeting, and we put in our application and were approved. Did you address the, the question of the community objections? Yes, we, we wrote um, letters and so did the church authorities, by the way. The church authorities gave us support. They wrote to all the residents. We wrote to the residents, trying to allay all their fears. And we even, two of us on the committee, actually went and visited one gentleman who was really the instigator of all the opposition. He did welcome us into his home. Um, but at the end of the day, we were still given permission with what's called temporary planning permission. You are granted temporary permission because it's an industrial building. And you then have to show use of it for at least a year. And then you can apply for permanent permission. So presumably you had to then submit another application demonstrating how you'd used it over the previous 12 months. Is that right? Yes. Uh, in fact, it was about 18 months. And what we did to cover ourselves from day one of using the building, we set ourselves up a diary and we recorded how many people we had in the shed on any open occasion, what sort of activities took place. So we had a total record, very basically, of what the shed was used for on its opening sessions so that we could 
did that and it worked. We submitted that to the planning authority and with that and the fact that there'd been no complaints from neighbours at all, well done. no issues, we were granted permanent permission for our building. Um, Ian, can I take you back? I mean, how did the build take place? Who built it? How much did that cost? And um, how big is it? And things like that. So having got the planning permission, I then set to and costed right down to the nails and the screws the building. And I guesstimated that it would come in at £8,000. That was the total cost that we were expecting to incur to build this building. We were told by the planning, sorry, by the district council that we could not start the build until we had got all of the funds in place because they didn't want a building started and then dragging off. We built it ourselves. Uh, there were four carpenters and one builder, plus other hands helping. We started on August 2nd, 2016. It took us a year to get the money together. Uh, but we got the money together. We started on August 2nd, only securing our insurance the week before. <laughs> And we built it in under six weeks, physically on site from raw materials supplied by discounted builders merchants who were very cooperative. And uh, the total cost, I did go over budget for a couple of hundred quid that they included putting in shelves and racking and worktops uh, around two sides. We actually spent £8,204. And how big is this, this shed now, Ian? Size of a single garage is 12 feet wide, that's 3.6 metres, and it is 6 metres long. So it has, um, it's level with a car park, so we don't have no difficulty getting the odd wheelchair or mobility scooter in the door. If somebody wants to come and see us or have a chat, um, because we're level with a car park, we, we the foundation anyway. No, it's not on a permanent foundation, it's on concrete pads on a timber floor. Um, you need to make that clear. Because it had to be a temporary building, we weren't allowed to put down a slab. Now, Ian, I have to say that you seem to be extremely well planned and well executed and budget controlled and working with councils, the local church and the community, you seem to be all round very good at, at managing this kind of project. Because of my industry background, I worked uh, on, the, on vast housing estates back in the 60s and early 70s before I went into teaching, uh, and I was responsible with others for part of Bracknell Newtown. Right, yeah, well, I, I think that's it's a fantastic story about you built it, but yeah, do tell us about what goes on in the shed, and um, who comes, and what kind of things do you get up to? Right, well, a shed of that size, 6 metres by 3.6 metres, is really only physically capable of having 4 to 6 people at any one time working. And as soon as you get visitors to work, as you can talk and so forth. Um, but the sort of things we do, we, some of the men do own projects subject to the space. Um, there's one man at the moment who's actually doing two um, small rocking horses for young grandchildren. We do lots of things for ourselves. Uh, they make 
we make all sorts of things like bird boxes, uh, garden furniture that the people has requested and planters, and that raises funds along the way. But most of our work is bigger. Most of it is projects. Projects that are too big for the shed. So we actually do things out in the community. For instance, we've replaced slats and back <coughs> boards to public benches. We've repaired three bus shelters in the town where they get vandalised when the town council want them put into good condition immediately. So we just were asked to go and sort, sort those things out. The biggest project we had was actually funded by Tesco. Tesco Bags Funding. They helped us do a project for some radiant housing tenants in a housing association. There's probably about 80 odd flats, most of which are better, that contain single men. So we tried to run a project there. That was very difficult because some of the men were very isolated and they didn't want to mix. But along the way, we ran it for a year and we spent the best part of £3,000 on equipment and things to do, trying to entertain some of these men and women. There were a few ladies. Uh, we did basic crafts. Like we made key rings and holders. We made um, coasters. Got them to stand them up, varnish them or polish them. They're their choice. Uh, some were painted. We had quite a lot of furniture in the garden. And we sanded it all down, we cleaned it all up, and we redecorated it all. And it looked brilliant at the end of the year. What's next? What's your next plan, Zoe? And you don't seem to be someone who sits still, so... Right. About two years ago, we were asked by Care Home to help with the, particularly the men in the Care Home, to keep them occupied. So we're operating one day a week, or one afternoon a week, since a year ago January we've been running a one afternoon session uh, there's a model railway train set up being laid out there's other craft things we've built garden raised beds so that wheelchair users can do planting or look after gardens we re-established a greenhouse for them so that they can do potting in a greenhouse uh, that's in the care hut but what we're looking forward to is the future when we need a much bigger space. Council have offered us a redundant pavilion, or when it becomes redundant, there's a pavilion about 140 square metres floor area. We've got to have to gut it. We may, right, but maybe I ought to share this, we don't know exactly what we're going to do. We've already talked to National Lottery. We may decide that the building is beyond economic repair and we therefore may decide to demolish and rebuild and have a brand new building. And the lottery people have told us that's our choice. We can apply for lottery either to rebuild or we can apply for refurbishment. Presumably now your shed is closed, is this right? Yes, we closed almost immediately. The government started talking. We felt it was right because we really... 70 plus group. I'm one of those people because of my health, I am locked down. You're completely locked down? Yes. Okay. We, we, my wife and I can't even go for a walk. We 
we have to stay in our garden because we've got to keep totally isolated because of a uh, low-level cancer that I have. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Ian. Are you are you getting the support support you need? Dropping deliveries. We're having our medications delivered. We're having neighbours go and get odd things when something goes awry or something doesn't get delivered. Uh, we've got very good connections around us, uh, which we're appreciative of. And we're getting quite a few isolated phone calls from people just checking up on how we are, how we do. That's fantastic. Likewise, I'm doing the same with some of our men because I know they're in a difficult situation. So you're, you're phoning around as well? Yeah, yeah, we're doing that as well. Now, we've shut down. I've no idea when we'll open up again. We should have had our AGM right now. Our AGM is going to be delayed. I know our accounts have been finished, um, so we're, we're on target with this um, Charities Commission. That's not a problem. But when we have our AGM and what challenges will come afoot because of this, situation I don't know I'm sure we'll learn things as we go along um, but we're still very positive as a group uh, helping at one or two of our men being isolated find it very tough I imagine your AGM is due now but I think the charity commission says it's okay to delay an AGM under these circumstances but I think they, they're asking if you can to submit your accounts as long as you're able to do that without um, contravening social distancing is right Ours don't have to be submitted until after the beginning of September. Okay. We've got plenty of time. Oh, is that the 18-month period? Yes. Yeah, okay. We, we, we've still got that um, and so forth. So that's not a problem. And we can do it by isolation. All that I have to do is receive the information from our treasurer and then I can put it into CIO. Yeah, with uh, with accuracy along the same lines as £8,204 budget uh, expenditure on your shed. Um, I, I can see you've got an eye for detail, Ian. Well, uh, I think you've got to be positive. Uh, the other thing I think I ought to share, because I know some groups probably are not as order organised as I think we're trying to be, under the rules, you have to keep minutes of all meetings. We've yes. kept agendas and minutes side by side, and we're now in the fifth year. And so we've got a complete record of all meetings, of what's been said, and what has been carried out. And I think when you look back over it, as we've done recently to check things, uh, it's quite interesting to see how it all plans out. So I'd recommend to anybody make sure you've got a good set of accounts yeah. and, uh, and records. And records. Well, you started off, didn't you, with your first 18 months of recording all the people who were attending on what you were doing to, as part of the plan. And you still do that. Fantastic. Yeah. We still have a job. And I suppose it's worth sharing. We've got an um, accident book and a first aid kit and there's nothing in the accident. <laughs> Fantastic. Look, Ian, I, I'm very impressed by um, by the, the shed and shedders in Alton, and I, I pass on all my very good wishes to them. Would you like to give a message to to the shedders in Alton or, or wider afield? I, I'm very happy to say to all shedders listening to this, if you've got any queries, anything you'd like to know about, you're most welcome to go on the website, pick up our email address, and email us, and we can give you more specific 
scientific information if you so regard. There's a committee of seven, and um, that's worth saying. Of that committee of seven, only one is a replacement. The other six of us go back to the very beginning. Fantastic. Ian, look, thank you very much indeed. As I said, best wishes to all the Alton Shedders, and I hope that um, your expansion plans you know, come to fruition, and when the lockdown is over, that we manage to meet up again and um, continue doing the, the good work that you've been doing. And thank you for your support. Yeah. All the best. Okay, thank yeah. you. Keep safe and look after yourself. All right, thanks very much indeed, Ian. As Ian says, keep safe and follow the government and NHS guidelines. Um, you can see extracts of the planning application for this shed um, on the Shed Happen show page for the 6th of May. Um, Ian wasn't a PC user, so all drawings were hand-drawn. And also we have pictures of all the sheds that are featured in today's show um, on the Shed Happens uh, webpage. Now, if you remember last week, we featured mobile sheds from Basingstoke and South Lanarkshire from Mike Brading and Paul Creakin. And we got a call from Colin, Colin Denny, who contacted us to tell us about the work they do with mobile sheds in Bromley and Greenwich. Here's Colin. I'll just kick off and say, Colin, welcome to Shed Happens. Can you tell us about your mobile sheds and what they've been up to? Yeah, sure. Well, um, in, in the, uh, the static sheds, as we call them, in, within the London boroughs of uh, Bromley and Greenwich, we've got three, uh, and we've got about sort of, 50 people in total. Um, so, so we run, run uh, one day in each of the sheds for ladies as well. So we've got women in sheds and men in sheds. But in addition to that, I was employed by Age UK about three years ago to run mobile sheds. And when I sort of, interviewed for the job, uh, no one really had a concept of what it was, but the, the whole ethos was to try and take the shed activities into people that can't get into the sheds. So basically, it's care homes, nursing homes, retirement housing, um, really any anywhere. Now they they can also be sort of community centres where we you know where we wanted to sort of reach out to areas in the boroughs that we hadn't previously done, um, and in that way really we could create a new shed. So that that was it. In a, in a nutshell, that's how I interpreted it, uh, and it's been hugely well received um, by people who've been taking part in it. Um, now, obviously, um, abilities are, are different um, wherever you go. Sometimes, in, in the sort of care end, care end or nursing home end, you're going to get a lot more frail people. And we do work, we do, by the way, aim at men because there's a lot of activities that are run by care homes, etc. That just naturally tendency uh, more appealing to women. Um, not exclusively, of course, but uh, that seems to be the way. So when I contacted a couple of um, care uh, or activity coordinators, they appear, they appear to be named, within these types of places, um, they were overjoyed at being able to come up with something for men, you know, exclusively to get the men t talking and, and have a bit of a community. In fact, one of the stories I always tell is um, I went along to one place and uh, obviously introduced myself, shook hands with the guys and, and then shook hands with someone else. And I said, oh, obviously, you guys know each other. And they went, no, we don't. <laughs> uh, and it was one of the, most, the, the best things in the world when about five or six weeks later, I heard that, that all three of them were sitting and having lunch together for the first time. My goodness. What, they all came from the same care home and they, yeah, they, they met each other the first time? But didn't know. Didn't know each other. <laughs> quite often, if you get residential housing, of course, Everyone has their own front door. Now, a lot of them leave their front doors open and it's in and out, etc. But, you, you know, you get someone who's quite new and they're quite into it, and just like every other man. 
um, we're not necessarily great at walking into a, uh, an area full of strangers. Um, it was really nice to do that. And it's one of the tips I always say, if you're ever doing something like this, make sure everyone has a badge, including, you know, yourselves. Uh, and it's, it's a, a bit of masking tape just with your first name on. Your first Everybody's name. equal that way, um, and I really recommend that. Fantastic. Um, now, how do you actually get the facilities into these care homes? Is it if you're a van or a car or what? Well, I've got a, I've got a, a big a big car with a big boot, and uh, but, but you've got to be selective about what you take. Yeah. Um, obviously, what we're going to do is, you know, depending on abilities, as I said, it depends on how much you're going to try and achieve. So it's worth a visit first, especially if you know you look around and you think there's nowhere to do anything here. You certainly don't want to make, make a mess in the, in the beautiful lounge. Yep. But you can usually find a space. Um, I've worked in corridors. I've worked outdoors. Obviously, I've took a, taken a gazebo. Yep. Um, you obviously need a, often need a bit of electricity. Um, select the tools that you're going to need. But don't please don't dumb it down too much. I don't mean that offensively, but um, you know, these aren't children. Right. If you get someone who's done a career in, you know, in making things, or even cabinet makers, I've come across, and yet you, you stick something that's white, white, a kit in front of them. Kits are great, but don't make them too noddy. So, and involve some tools. I always take a pillar drill with me. It's blooming heavy, but it's something that almost everybody can use safely. Um, I obviously take hand tools, etc., um, sanders and thing, things like that. But I always try to take a few electric tools because they're a bit more challenging. And what kind of things are you making in these? In, when you take the, the shed out to these these places? Yeah, well, well, we start off with the simple stuff because you've got to gauge the ability to get just so bird boxes, bug houses, etc. Um, but uh, one of the things we try and do is obviously get ideas from the, the residents themselves, let's call them residents for them, get ideas from them, what would you like to make? And really importantly, what would you like to make collectively? So we've done planters and things for the care home and for all the residents of the care home. And you have much more pride in something that's sitting that's in the garden exactly. that's made by them, especially a, a, um, a bird table. They've gone, they've, they've gone down a storm. Um, one of the other things I will really recommend, and it's one of the benefits that I never saw when, before we started, was involve some of your shedders in ideas. Oh, guys, we're thinking of doing this. Would you like to come along and would you, would you come and help? And what ideas have you got for kits? And can you make us some, some kits, etc.? So it's a real benefit for the, your existing shedders um, to, to think that you know, they're, they're expanding it. And it's a great way also to potentially get some new members. So although you know you take it out to this, these groups, sometimes these members have then come along to our barbecues and joined in. You know, and although their mobility might not be great, they'll always pop in and say hello. There's all abilities. I would watch out for that. So, Colin, I'm looking at a poster of Mobile Shed at Mycenae House, and you guys have all got cups of tea in the end. <laughs> Nothing unusual there. <laughs> so what, how many places do you get to on this thing? Well, I've, I've been doing it over about three or four years, and, and it goes in fits and starts. It's, it's obviously a lot better to do it in the fine weather because you get the ability to use outdoors, yep. as I say, and, and uh, it's, some of that's a lot easier. Um, but I usually do about five or six weeks on the bounce to get a bit of regularity going, um, and then, you know, you, you're expected, and then you've got a, a time slot, etc. Um, so I do five or six weeks, and then if there's something we want to finish off, then I'll do it again. And I've been back to places six months later, and they've, they've you know, come, please, can you come back and we want to do it again, or do you know, make something different? So yeah, generally I say I say that do do something three or four times, five, six, whatever, um, and, and, and gauge the interest. 
because you do get people's their ideas come to the fore. Yeah. And we obviously we, we let ladies join, but we make it sure it's, it's aimed at the gentleman first. But uh, ladies can what you know they're itching to join in, aren't they? So yeah, they you've are. got a sander there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> painting. Don't forget painting. No, no, no. Colin, I'm sorry about this. We 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 are fairly short on time, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to um, cut you short. But it, it no. sounds like a really interesting project. It's not certainly. I mean, in the trim shed, we we are approached by care homes, but it's really interesting to see you taking them out to care homes and nursing homes and and other residential housing. And um, I think that's something which we might come back to as well. So um, I'd like to thank you very much and Age UK, Bromley and Greenwich. Well done. You're more than welcome. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much indeed, Colin. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. The Essex Shed Network actually do um, a project called Shed Inside, and they have a toolkit on their website that gives ideas about the sort of things that, that effectively act as like a mobile shed, very much to, to what Colin's doing, I think. So it'd be interesting um, to understand, you know, whether or not UKMSA should provide a resource on that to support, you know, sheds that don't have a premises yet, but they can still do shed activities and bring people together. Right, um, yeah, well, thank you, Colin, and the best wishes to Bromley and Greenwich Chase UK. I guess we're all going to have to wait a while before we can offer similar services to care and nursing homes. And um, in this respect, we wish care homes countrywide all the best and a very big thank you. Absolutely, here, here. Um, last week, we had a discussion regarding how we saw the world after the lockdown and hoped that we could build back better in this new world, this new post COVID 19 world. And the following bedtime story has been distributed widely on Facebook and we include the audio from that video here. See the links on the show page for the, the video that's on YouTube and our thanks to probably Tom Foolery for this clip. Tell me the one about the virus again, then I'll go to bed. But my boy, you're growing weary, sleepy thoughts about your head. Please, that one's my favourite. I promise just once more. <laughs> okay. Snuggle down, my boy, though I know you know full well. The story starts before then, in a world I once would dwell. It was a world of waste and wonder, of poverty and plenty, back before we understood why hindsight's twenty-twenty. You see, the people came up with companies to trade across all lands, but they swelled and got much bigger than we ever could have planned. We'd always had our wants, but now it got so quick. You could have anything you dreamed of in a day and with a click. We noticed families had stopped talking. That's not to say they never spoke, but the meaning must have melted and the work-life balance broke and the children's eyes grew squarer and every toddler had a phone. They filtered out the imperfections, but amidst the noise, they felt alone. And every day the skies grew thicker Till you couldn't see the stars. So we flew in planes to find them, while down below we filled our cars. We'd drive around all day in circles. We'd forgotten how to run. We swapped the grass for tarmac, shrunk the parks till there were none. We filled the sea with plastic, because our waste was never capped. Until each day when you went fishing, you'd pull them out, already wrapped. And while we drank, and smoked and gambled. Our leaders taught us why. It's best to not upset the lobbies. More convenient to die. But then in 2020, a new virus came our way. The governments reacted and told us all to hide away. 
But while we all were hidden, amidst the fear, and all the while, the people dusted off their instincts. They remembered how to smile. They started clapping to say thank you, and calling up their mums, and while the car keys gathered dust, they would look forward to their runs. And with the skies less full of voyagers, the earth began to breathe, and the beaches bore new wildlife that scuttled off into the seas. Some people started dancing, some were singing, some were baking. We'd grown so used to bad news, but some good news was in the making. And so when we found the cure, and were allowed to go outside, we all preferred the world we found to the one we'd left behind. Old habits became extinct, and they made way for the new, and every simple act of kindness was now given its due. But why did it take a virus to bring the people back together? Well, sometimes you've got to get sick, my boy, before you start feeling better. Now lie down and dream of tomorrow, and all the things that we can do. And who knows, if you dream hard enough, maybe some of them will come true. We now call it the Great Realisation. And yes, since then there have been many. But that's the story of how it started, and why hindsight's twenty-twenty. Okay, so any any comments on that particular story from um, probably Tom Foolery? Yeah, I mean, it's a lovely positive message of hope. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that what's happened with coronavirus is the thing that will change everything that we need to change, but it's certainly a good kick up the bum to kind of think about how we do certain things in terms of, you know, the amount of travel and certainly the environmental side of things and taking for granted those that we love and the ability to connect and freedom of movement, you know, sort of element of gratitude for, for what we've got. And um, I guess what I would like to know is how we kind of keep that momentum going. Um, how do we keep encouraging that and keeping that, that idea that, you know, this is a chance for change alive? Yeah. Well, from my perspective, it's interesting you use the word momentum there because that was like a soft introduction to basic socialism for me, but we maybe shouldn't go down that road just now. But um, what I will say is that there are opportunities to, you know, to learn that exist in, in every waking moment. We just have to use our time wisely and not get distracted. I thought the question from the child at the very beginning was very interesting. Why did it take the virus to get people to change? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, I think he answered by saying, well, sometimes you have to get ill before you get better. Whatever your beliefs, here's hoping. Okay, so thank you very much indeed, studio guests, Kate, Gordon and Dan Gamay. And our best wishes go to sheds everywhere, especially those from the sheds featured in today's show from Exmouth, Hailing Island, Osmond Street, Alton, Bromley and Greenwich. And lastly, thanks to all the NHS staff, GPs, nurses, doctors, care workers and other essential staff who bravely are looking after us and all the other key workers in supermarkets and food factories and, and everywhere else. So thank you very much indeed for your hard work. Please follow the guidance issued by UK government, the NHS and other statutory bodies regarding the coronavirus. Let's um, all stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. And um, thank you for listening. Now we tracked down a Shedder's Christmas jingle that no one had mentioned to us. This was performed by the UK Men's Shed Trustees last Christmas. Now I'm a little surprised that despite having several trustees on the show and most of them having listened to our appeals for music on Shed Happens, none of them mentioned that this jingle shed's carol was available. Anyway, they'll all be really pleased to hear that we have tracked it down. And here it is. See the lyrics on shedhappens.uk and you can see that on the show page for the 6th of May. Ladies and gentlemen, on the Shed Happen show, as part of an upside down world, we give you Christmas in May 
by the UK MSA. You can email the show at shedhappens at ukmsa.org.uk and there is a link to the dedicated page for this episode in the podcast description. Many thanks for listening to We Are The Weather. I look forward to seeing you all again soon. Bye-bye.